0: Hello and welcome to the with Jay Burke show. My name is Jason Burke and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. This is a place for curious minds who enjoy civil and sometimes meandering conversation. If you appreciate a few laughs or want to come away with new knowledge or a simple understanding of subjects that aren't always easy to break down, you're the person I want listening to this podcast. The United States has a housing crisis. It isn't 2008 anymore where any nomad with a signature and a TJ Maxx card could buy a home, or where lenders signed off on loans written on two-ply toilet paper, all while Wall Street thugs packaged shitty mortgages and peddled them off to unsuspecting insurance companies and pension funds in an exercise on how to topple a world economy. This crisis is new, and it's silent. The U.S. is in need of roughly 3.8 to 5.5 million housing units, depending on where you get that estimate. Worse yet, it isn't economically feasible for developers to build homes for low- and moderate-income families or first-time homebuyers, and it's causing rents to go sky-high. What was once the American dream may now be the new national nightmare. To guide us through this, I asked Jake Mullins to join me. Jake is the founder and host of the hit podcast Beer and Business, which blends together authentic conversations about business over a beer. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. But what makes him uniquely qualified to speak on the subject is that he runs one of the top real estate teams in the Atlanta area. And as you'll find out, he'll teach us why we're here and what the future looks like. He also has some sound advice on how your home can make money for you. Also, He does a killer Nicolas Cage and Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation, I must say. But in all seriousness, Jake was a lot of fun and simplified a subject that could be very difficult to understand. And we were able to have some laughs while we did it. So enjoy the Jake Mullins with Jay Burke show. And welcome to the with Jay Burke show. My name is Jason Burke. And though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jake Mullins. Jake is a serial entrepreneur and runs one of the top real estate teams in Atlanta. He's also founder and host of the super smash hit podcast, Beer and Business, which blend together authentic conversation about business over a beer. Jake, thanks for joining me, man.
1: I'm glad you said super smash hit. You got but you gotta say it like honored gotta say it's a super smash hit
0: box. This is a super podcast. smash hit, my friend.
1: <laughs> oh man, thanks for having me, dude. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, man. It's it's uh it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. So man, how uh how is the podcast going? You started that I know, you know, behind the scenes we said you started about four years ago, right?
1: Yeah, I actually um Believe it or not, I worked on the concept for the show for about a year before I launched it. So yeah, that sounds about right. Coming up with a brand and, you know, the, the format and then, you know, researching how to do it. And uh, but yeah, we've been recording for about three and a half years and it's going really good. Um, you know, we've got sponsorship. Uh, we're growing pretty, pretty steadily. Um, ac- actually, within the past year, we really kind of took off. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of humbling. Uh, learned a lot along the way
0: yeah
1: a lot of what not to do yeah <laughs> but it, it's uh it's ultimately been very rewarding and uh i think the the real benefit that we had to do in the show is that those of us are that are involved um we don't need it we don't need money from it so we were never pressured to like monetize right away right. or you know the sponsorship we actually turned down way more sponsors than we've ever accepted um and we never asked for when they came to us so yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it's and awesome. we're just having a lot of fun and trying to to continuously take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, it, it's been a lot of fun. We were talking about that a little bit. That's fine. We're going to talk about
1: housing and the
0: future of it and what we're at. But, um, yeah, you know, it's been such a learning experience. And, and I was telling you before, it's just it was it's a lot more work than I thought. But it, it's
1: been rewarding. And
0: I think I enjoy it more and
1: more as I go on. Um, it's, you know, the, the funniest thing for me when I started going back to the beginning, <clears throat> I'd done a lot of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had this concept in my head, put it all on paper, worked on the branding. And by the time we started, I'm like, I am so ready for this. <laughs> then I sat in the front of, front of the microphone. I'm like, what the hell do I say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. Uh, it's a lot to, to do a successful podcast a lot of people try but to do one successfully it's a lot harder than people think and it's a yeah. lot more work than, than you may realize if you just listen and you've never tried it before
0: yeah I, I'm a planner with stuff and then it just goes you know it doesn't matter what your plan is everything goes off script and that's life right you plan for it and it's just like why aren't these people following the script but anyway another celebrity quote
1: Mike Tyson everybody had a plan until they get punched in the face <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'll do these all day if you let me. Yeah, so. hey, go ahead. Hey, <laughs> You run
0: with it, man. That's, that's what I do. I let everybody that's run part with of the, it.
1: That's part of the craziness of our podcast. So it's a, you know, for those that have not listened, Beer and Business is a serious business podcast, but we do comedy and we do all of our com- conversations over beer. Yeah. So nobody takes it. Nobody's taking themselves too seriously. So there's a lot of celebrity impressions and shenanigans. But that's, I think that's what's helped us because it's not boring. The conversation's authentic and we just you know, screw around, make fun of each other. And, you know, people feel like they're in the room with us. So it's fun.
0: Yeah. Well, those are the best ones. I think when it feels like you're just hanging out with friends, right. But you learn it some, but it's like you're hanging out because there's nothing worse than I think a a lot of them try to take themselves a little bit seriously and it just becomes like monotonous to listen to. Right. I
1: mean, that hurts my soul. I (laughs) (laughs) I just can't listen.
0: what's your uh, what's your best celebrity impression?
1: Oh, God, one of my favorite ones right now is Nick Nolte. Oh, my God. I got to hear that. (laughs) Jesus Christ, it's Nick Nolte. I'm trying to sell stuff out of my garage. because I don't know if you've heard, but my my career sucks. I'm all washed up. I can't get any leading roles anymore. And I pissed away all my cash on hookers. (laughs) Pretty good for
0: you. (laughs) That was pretty good.
1: It only gets worse, dude. No,
0: oh, I'm sure. Nick Dalty's <laughs> yeah. a funny one because he, he's become like seen his own meme. Of him recently, oh, he looks Have crazy. S-
1: oh my god, the that's hair and stuff. The, oh yeah, my that's god. what makes the uh, impression so much fun,
0: dude. What? <laughs> but you know, it's <laughs> I funny. Can go as
1: crazy as I want.
0: He's like he was at one point, kind of a, a good act like a serious actor. I guess he ran out of oh, money dude, and just Cape started doing Fear. everything.
1: Like Cape Fear was like one of my favorite movies in yeah. that era.
0: I don't, yeah, I, he, he was like he was a real deal for a while. Now he's just like a walking meme. You know, it's like
1: so much fun.
0: Oh yeah. Oh man, I tell you. So, uh, so obviously, you're uh, you got a real estate team in Atlanta. You work mm-hmm. outside of. Um, you work through all of Georgia, or just just in that area? Primarily basically?
1: the the Atlanta MSA. Um, real estate's really complicated in how you pick particular areas to service. So it's really, you know, in, I mean, getting around Atlanta, it could be like four hours one way to the mm. other side of the city. So it's a it's a pretty big area, but yeah, it's just the Atlanta metro okay.
0: area. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, man, real estate is in a crazy place. And I think during the pandemic, it's like nobody knew what was going to happen with it. Like I, I was reading up some stuff even yesterday and they were talking about how, you know, at one point, they thought prices were going to drop during the pandemic, but they actually just just kept soaring. You know, it's like I think I read it was up like twenty one percent or something like that last year. And um, but there's
1: there's winners and losers, right? So there are some areas where real estate pricing has either depressed or it has slowed in its growth. And then, of course, you got other areas where it's just been the growth has been hyper, hyper growth. Yeah, and so that's what makes that overall number across the country go up is the the areas that are growing are growing at just stupid rates. Yeah,
0: well, you know, it's it's funny this area. It's like everybody wants to just get out of here. <laughs> they get killed with the property <laughs> tax and the, the and the home yeah. prices and stuff. So I do see a lot of northern uh, and a lot of people from North Jersey are going. You know
1: the Carolinas, Florida, mm-hmm. uh Delaware is a big one. Well before the pandemic, um the one of the really big um you know prospecting categories for us was uh retiring baby boomers. Mm-hmm. So I believe this stat was like there were at one point right before the the pandemic there was like 60,000 baby boomers retiring every day and a lot of <laughs> them lived in the northeast and you know had high property value, paying high taxes. And it's like, when you're done working, adios, I'm heading south. Yeah, am to go somewhere with lower taxes. I mean, Florida is just, my God, Florida's exploded. Texas oh, I know. Exploded because no no state income tax. Um, and, and we have too. I mean, Georgia's seen a lot of that. But, hell, that was pre-pandemic. And now, one of the things that we're seeing that has really kind of um, caused this whole issue is so many – and even – now we still see this on a week to week basis where we'll get contacted and somebody's like my job just went virtual mm-hmm. and i'm moving and there's so much of that that it's caused just incredible migration from certain parts of the country to others and even like for us in atlanta people moving from inside the city to outside you know rural area because now i don't have to be not have to deal with the traffic and all that stuff and i get a much cheaper house and land and so yeah, I mean, it's been yeah. it's been crazy.
0: Yeah, you stretch your dollar. I mean, it's it, it, I mean it, that's one of the big lessons that everybody learned I think, the pandemic, right? So they're doing. I I could have, and we my my father lives with us. So, um, but before he lived with us, he had a house in uh, Lewis, Delaware, which kind of grew a lot. That's right by Rehoboth Beach. I don't know if you know the area mm-hmm. or anything like that. No exactly where it is. Uh, yeah, that that place used to be a secret when he bought it it was so funny like nobody knew it anytime i mentioned that area and then 10 years later it just everybody went there because you know it's cheap no no real estate uh no sales tax yeah. um and they were building like crazy during that time but i'm i just think sometimes we ended up um selling the house but i'm like man i could have <laughs> <laughs> I just took my job out there and lived like a king. I could have worked at Walmart out there and lived like a king. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's crazy.
1: We've and, had people that have moved here from California that retired in their 40s and 50s. So they're like, we started doing the math and we just realized we could retire now, sell our real estate, and move out here. I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm jealous. Yeah. I.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. if you bought your house? Like when my parents moved to Jersey, God, I want to say it was 77, you know, a little before I was born. I think they bought it for like $75,000. It's crazy. I mean, I think they had the high interest rates and stuff like that. So you kind of give and take, but um, by the time they sold, it's like, you know, it's like half a million dollars. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> like, insanity.
0: You know, who would have so- known, right? Yeah, that's it, man. So that's why sometimes I'm like, oh, let those interest rates go to like whatever. You buy a house on the cheap. Although I would I would be screwed right now cuz the you know, I'm not renting or doing anything like that. Yeah. But uh but even here, I mean, the market's just crazy. There's just nothing. I think there's 3 homes for sale in my town. That's just there's just not a lot of inventory out there.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's really bad. I mean, one of the big issues that we've got. So I, I study this a lot because, you know, obviously I run a real estate team, we've got mm-hmm. like 30 agents. And so I, I need to stay connected to what's going on, both at a macro level and also inside of our markets that we serve. And we have an issue across the country where we have a shortage of inventory, which shouldn't surprise anybody, but it's gotten worse because the population has grown at such a, a steady clip yeah and new construction is the only way you add inventory i know and house it i mean there's that's it that's the only place to get new houses is, is to build new ones and new construction has been has been lagging behind for years and what's happened is as growth has accelerated new construction is decelerated and right. the gap has widened and so during the pandemic you saw a lot of um you know housing companies like new construction companies builders Trying to, to, you know, okay, we got to catch up because this is becoming a really big issue. They were getting, you know, everything they put on the market was selling right away. So it's like, we got to double down and sell more. And um, the prevailing wisdom is that it's going to take 10 years to catch up.
0: Yeah, well, because I think I, I read, you're right. It's been something like 10, 15 years since, since that started happening. They used to build you know, like a million and a half homes a year or something like that. And then it's down to 1 million, 1.2, something like that. But over time, that's just, like you said, population is growing and then you have less yeah. homes coming in. I mean, part of the issue too, I see there's not a lot of affordable homes for people who are starting out. Like that's for the millennials and all those other people. Um, I guess it's just not worth it for builders to to, with the price of lumber or the price of other material to build these types of homes that would be starter homes back in the fifties or sixties. And, um, but that makes it tough too. Well, you know, I see it drives it me time.
1: crazy, man. We, we talk about this so much. The, the affordable housing issue is such a real issue
0: mm-hmm. and
1: none of the builders are playing in that space. And it, what, what bothers me the most is, you know, and a lot of this falls, to local government. Yep. You know, there's not much you can do about this on a on a national level. But like we've got several local counties that we deal with where they talk all the time about all the things that they want to do for affordable housing. And then they turn around and make it impossible mm-hmm. for people to do development and impossible to get the proper permits and then they got to do, you know, I mean, to develop land you got to do your surveys and you got to do wetland studies and you got to do, you know, uh, stormwater surveys and and you've got to do this study and that study. Then the EPA has got to come in and do some stuff and look at the, you know, the ground burrowing mouse and, you know, oh, well, you can't do that because you're going to interrupt an ecosystem. And it's like it just goes on and on and on. And these builders are like, I can't make money doing $200,000 houses. I've got if if this is what it's going to take to develop. I gotta do, yeah, you you got to do you know three fifty four yeah I got to do higher higher priced housing and it's it's really frustrating because you know you hear all the talk but then the action and is going in the complete opposite direction.
0: Yeah, it's a funny then, thing because I read that too. It's everybody's saying we got to do this or we have to do something, and it's like they just are paralyzed, you know. And I think you're right as far as local level.
1: And then Look, and then you hear politicians. Like do the stupidest stuff like the last mayor of of Atlanta, I'm not gonna name her name. <laughs> you can look it up. But she was um, she was really big on she wanted to she was on this affordable housing kick. So what did she want to do? She wanted to plop low cost housing right in the middle of Buckhead, which you know, I if, don't if you know anything about Atlanta, it's like one of the most premier areas in the city. Mm-hmm. Very expensive real estate. I mean, really expensive. And it's super posh, really, really nice. And she's wanting to, you know, throw like low cost housing high rises in there. It's like, why? No, nobody's yeah. going to let that happen. And the politicians don't want it either because half of them live there, right? Yeah. So it's like, why are you even saying that? Because it's not realistic. I mean, even the rhetoric ticks me off because it doesn't make sense half the time. Yeah.
0: Well, that's another thing too. Like you said, nobody's going to let that happen. I, I don't know the law, but I know a lot of people will we'll fight it. That's that NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. Uh, and yeah, everybody exactly. knows we need it, but they're going to, they're going to fight it and they have the money to fight it. They just have to litigate. And it just takes so long and costs so much money that who's going to bother at some point to just give it up, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 And there's just so many other very realistic opportunities in Atlanta for real, you know, good, low cost housing. And it's like, Nobody's fighting for that, but yet here we are talking about putting high-rise, low-income housing in Buckhead. Like, really? Yeah. Man, that's, yeah. You're not even serious. So, yeah, yeah it, it drives me nuts, man. It really does. And it's a very real problem.
0: Oh, yeah. Affordable I,
1: housing. Well, you know,
0: it it's, a, it's something that drives up the rent, too. I mean, rent's becoming unaffordable because it, it, there's nowhere to go, right? You can't buy a house, and then – you're you're stuck with rent, you know, renting an apartment or renting a house, and it's they can charge whatever they want at that point. You know, that's what the market bears.
1: Yeah, so if you're if you're listening to this and you own your own home, you probably never think about rent, but you should go out and research like what a two bedroom apartment oh. is going for in your community. You will be shocked. Insane! It is amazing how much rent has gone up.
0: It's insanity. If you wanted to rent a house around here, forget about it. If you wanted to rent like three or four bedrooms, you'd like four thousand dollars, five thousand. It's like it's oh my god, that's insane. Well, this 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 area is insane. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. But even here, I mean, it's we uh we bought a house uh, in November and the three bed two bath premium um kind of premium area, but you know starter home. We paid. I mean, we had to pay top dollar for this house, but it was in an area that we wanted. And we had to make it a $2,000 a month rent house. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, man, I, I didn't even like asking the rent, but we had to because of what we got into the house for, our basis on it. We were flooded. I mean, we were absolutely flooded with applications. And that's when that was the point when I realized how bad apartments had gotten because I hadn't really been paying attention to yeah. apartments. All I really care about is what houses are renting right. for because that's the market I'm in. But I started looking at these apartments and I was finding them. In our community, one bedroom apartments for $2,000 a month. I know. <laughs> like, holy crap. I know. I that's see that out insane. here. insane.
0: I see that out here and I'm like, <laughs> some kid out I'm like, of college, like,
1: $2,000 a month, what does it do?
0: Well, that's the thing, <laughs> Other than right? Where's the apartment? It... Yeah. What does, it
1: do?
0: does it serve me coffee? Does it's it, got to do something. Does it so.
1: cook me dinner at night? Like, what, what the hell am I going
0: to do this? Oh my God, I know. I think that all the time. It's it's insanity. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for these the, the young kids who are who are out there renting, and it's you know I used to work with someone, and he was looking around, and he he's, he's like, I just I can't I can't believe how much that it is to to do anything around here. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah it it's tough. Um, not impossible, you know, but oh. it's just one of those things where it, it's you know if you don't work in the real estate industry. Um, you have no idea how hard it's been for real estate agents. I think a lot of times people are like, oh, it must be great to be a real estate agent right now. It's like, uh, no, <laughs> not at all. It's it's incredibly difficult.
0: You guys have a lot of hoops to jump through too. I mean, you have to deal with with the banks, right? I mean, and then you're dealing with um, you while well, you're dealing with the the local government, all the permits all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I mean it's it, it's it's kind of a long process. I remember buying my first house. Now, granted, I bought mine, I got lucky. I bought mine right after uh in 2010, so the market was just like completely Oh, dropped. you bought
1: at the perfect time. Yeah. I
0: did and and I made a lot of money when I sold and then but I dumped it all into a new house anyway, most of it. But um yeah, I mean, I bought a real fixer upper, but it was I mean, it took me so long to get into this. It took me like four months to close on this house from when I wanted Mm -hmm. to. And I know they were probably super stringent back then. They might not be as bad. But it was the hoops I had to go through. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah, the real estate industry is – it's really interesting to be in. So first of all, um, our industry has got a very bad reputation. Mm -hmm. And it's well-earned because there's so many (laughs) terrible real estate agents. I hate to say it. And, you know, unfortunately, because a lot of people, they're like, oh, I want to sell houses. You know, they watch HGTV. They want to get into it. And it's not what the job is. It's in, I think a lot of people too get into it, thinking that it's going to be a job. And it's absolutely not. Even if you're an individual real estate agent, you're a business owner. You have to think about everything like a business owner. You got a marketing budget. You've got, I mean, everything you've got to do proper accounting and get to have savvy tax strategy, all that stuff. And so there's a, our industry has a very, very high failure rate. So of all the people that get licensed, probably nine out of 10 of them never make it like don't sell anything. Yeah. And out of that, you've got a pretty wide distribution between people that are, you know, really, really good at it. And people that really, really suck at it and everything in between. So yeah, we've got a, we've got a bad reputation, Um, and so that, that makes it difficult. And then also a lot of times people will have a transaction maybe they have a really good agent, but everything goes like super smooth. Mm -hmm. Like what the hell did I pay you for? Yeah, (laughs) It's like we went out, we made one offer. We didn't really have any issues and you got a big check. Like what gives? Yeah. And, and I always tell people, you know, good real estate agent is like a doctor, you know, when you go to your doctor, sometimes you're like, doc, I got, Bronchitis. I know I do. I need yeah. a Z pack. And he's like, "Well, let me run some tests." And he's like, "Say oh, amen." And, <laughs> and you go through the whole thing. He's like, "Yeah, it looks like you got bronchitis. You need a Z pack." And you're like, "I know. I freaking told you." I know. You, I'm
0: dude. a doctor. Obviously.
1: <laughs> like, I know what I'm doing here, Doc. I got it. um But sometimes you go in and you're like, "I got a headache," and he finds out you got, you know, like bacterial meningitis and saves your life or something like that. You yeah. Know? So it's like when you need the the doctor and they pull through and save your life you're like oh that's why you make a lot of money it's the same thing with a good real estate agent like there are sometimes you go through something and it is absolutely fine and then every once in a while you know you'll have somebody that runs into an issue where there's a cloud on title there's an unrecorded easement and you know you look at a report and you see something you don't like about the septic system leach field, and the client's like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And you completely save their butt on a on a deal. Yeah, you have to know a lot about a lot to be really good, and it takes a lot of continuing education, takes a lot of commitment, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting business because you have to work really hard to to make it to the top of the game.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of people. That's funny. I meet people who will get into it and they're like, oh, if I sell one house a month, I make, you know, five, six thousand bucks. Like it's that easy. You know, like they're, they're just falling out of the sky houses, you know, to sell. Uh, Where
1: are those? I want some.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about relationships too. I mean, you can't just walk into, into, you're never just going to walk into it. You got to make, you got to get people to trust you and, and things like that. But
1: it, oh, it dude, is an gotta, interesting field. You got to be good at sales and relationship building. You have to understand mechanical structures. Mm-hmm. You got to know finance. You got to do marriage counseling a lot of times. <laughs> I mean, it's just like the list goes on and on if you want to be really effective, but um, it's, it's super rewarding. Um, I, I might sound like I'm trying to talk people out of getting into this business. And if it sounds that way, I am. Uh, <laughs> but if you decide to do it anyways, it's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's a uh, really, really high highs. And then, on the lows, you drink a lot of bourbon. I mean, that's yes. how I get through. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you you were drinking bourbon all day long from like 2008 to uh, 2015, something like that. Whatever oh, the,
1: those were brutal, brutal years, man. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah, I was working. But it needed to be because that that was, a, um, you know, for those that really don't understand what happened, that needed to happen because, man, there were some – just really, really terrible things going on in the housing industry. You know, a lot of people that bought houses that never should have or bought sizes or prices of houses that never should have. Um, it was crazy.
0: Yeah. You know, I worked in a bank at that point. I mean, I worked in the front end, you know, so I, I'm it was, I was in management in the branches. But um, man, we used to – we'd write a mortgage for somebody, and I swear to you, the next day, sold. It was gone. It was hot potato with the the mortgages, right? They just kept selling them, cutting them up, selling them. But I remember that mm-hmm. in my bank, they just they they write it, bundle it up, and sell it. I mean, we we were um, that was a small bank, so they weren't really doing anything funny, you know. But um, but still, they were just that was the name of the game was hot potato with the with the mortgages.
1: Oh yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you if you've ever uh, watched the movie The Big Short, oh, it's a good movie. That's that's one of the because. I'm kind of a financial nerd, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people, you try to talk to them about what what happened, and their eyes glaze over, like, I don't even know what the hell you're saying. But that movie did a really good job of it did. Like, breaking down and simplifying the shannery that was happening in the secondary market, and yeah, that was nuts. It really did. Um, actually, I got a lot of understanding
0: from it, and, and I looked. I look into that stuff. I remember it back then and I was interested in it, but it, it it's tough to understand if you're just reading it. So that, that did do a good job about just mm-hmm. cutting up mortgages, toxic, you know, these toxic mortgages and then bundling with these a rated or whatnot mm-hmm. mortgages. And, and uh, man, that, I don't think anybody realized how close to the uh, precipice we were of, of, Utter
1: <laughs> total total meltdown
0: total yeah, meltdown better. the whole world economy yeah. the it's interesting, so we've been I'll tell you man, if you're 20 years old, you've been through a lot already in the world, yes. right? I mean yes, it, these kids they're digits through everything. I always think yeah. that
1: especially uh, now um, the past two years of the pandemic, I've got three kids, 13, 11 and six. And, you know, it's like, I was thinking about this the other day, my six year old, a third of his life has been through pandemic and masks and all that stuff. And it's like, man, think about it. Like, that's really weird. This is not natural. And been through some, some real BS. And uh, I don't think anybody's really factored in the, the mental health and emotional toll that it's taken on on kids yeah having gone through some of this stuff it's it's insane
0: yeah i got a six-year-old also i have i have three kids too so i have a 16 year old a uh soon to be 12 year old and then i have a a six going on seven so i got bored i guess every five years and <laughs> made my life a little exciting uh yeah Sounds i think like about coming that. up on another one uh, yeah <laughs> no,
1: no no mas no mas but,
0: my daughter, will say that, or somebody, she'll be like, "Why don't you guys have another baby?" Or my youngest, like, "Oh, give me a brother!" And I was like, "Listen, your mother can have a kid. You'll just see me every other Wednesday and on weekends because <laughs> you know, it's not going to be my kid." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So, um, but yeah, I think about that sometimes, right? He's he's six, and actually, this week they just took the masks off here in Jersey. The schools wow, were allowed man. to, yeah.
1: And See, uh, we got really lucky, dude, because, um, you know, for, for a hot minute there, things were, you know, just like everywhere else here in Georgia. But it didn't take long for people to start to revolt. Yeah. So it's felt close to normal for a while. Yeah. Um, but it started to feel really normal in the past few months.
0: Yeah. We were really, you know, we got hit so hard in the beginning and it was so bad. That um, it, it, people were people were good about it. Like everybody, you know, took to it. It was it was really really bad in the beginning. we were really overwhelmed, and nobody knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. So um, they were they're really cautious here. I'm like a stone throw from New York City. So when it yeah. started, that was Ground Zero. Um, but now, now, you know, after two years or whatever, everybody's just like, all right, we're done. And I, yeah. You know, and hopefully it seems like it, the levels are so low now, you know, I, I think kind of Omicron might have came through and just whoever, <laughs> whoever didn't have it kind of got it oh, close to like everybody
1: hurting. got it. Yeah.
0: I swear to you, now I'm, I'm vaccinated and I have the booster, but I tell you, man, over the holidays, everybody was sick. Everybody was getting sent home from school because they were being exposed to it and i can i everybody in my family tested uh negative but i'm like i don't know man <laughs> it's just weird timing everybody had these omicron like omicron like symptoms yeah. i swear it just swept through everybody so hopefully you know it seems like we're uh, we're getting to the tail end of this
1: well what's interesting um if you if you've done any research on it so SARS-CoV-1 mm-hmm. the first SARS outbreak that happened it and I'm surprised to never hear people talk about this, but it just disappeared. Yeah. And to this day, the scientists can't um, explain how it went away. It was a much smaller scale break um, outbreak than you know what SARS-CoV-2 is, but very very similar characteristics in, in the actual virus itself. In that one, the first one, it just disappeared. And if you can go Google it today, and you'll find that scientists can't um, they they can't explain. What happened to it? It just disappeared. So it weakened, and then it was just gone. And it could happen with this one. I mean, you never know. Um, I'm not a doctor. I have no freaking clue, but, you know, history can be a predictor of the future. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I read that even
0: about the the bubonic plague. They don't really know why Mm -hmm. it stopped. You know, obviously, it's it's still around. We just can fight it better, and it's contained and whatever. But they (laughs) – they really don't have an idea why it just stopped. I mean, it killed. I mean, it took away some parts of the world. Had two thirds of the population gone, but
1: yeah.
0: um, it's interesting to think that it just one day stopped. I don't know, and and they don't really know why.
1: Yeah. Well, all I know is I'm I'm sick of it, <laughs> so I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to life to return back to normal. So hopefully this is a. Uh, Hopefully what we've seen over the past couple of months is is a good indication of what the future holds please.
0: yeah yeah i think I think we're getting there um, we kind of said that before, but you know I think this time we we might get there as long as there's nothing you know knock on wood, nothing else comes through another strain of something, yeah, yeah, but you know we're going we're going into spring summer, I think we're gonna be we're gonna be okay this time.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm thinking what will happen is we'll get rid of COVID right before total financial catastrophe worldwide. You know, so
0: just move from... Yeah, you know, or, or it. World War Three. You know, you have that on, right. on the horizon. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> like... Uh, the, yeah. A lot going on, man. Yeah. world's an interesting place. Yep. You know, but... Uh, yeah, I was reading, you know, during the pandemic that... They were saying millennials were buying up a lot of first time buyers were buying up homes. They thought the inventory would would be higher, but millennials saw these these drops in the mortgage rates and, and things like that, and they started going out and buying up homes. And that's one of the reasons why we're also we have an inventory that's dry, drying up. You know? Did you yeah, see for that? sure. All?
1: That's oh yeah, that's absolutely part of the problem. Because remember, I, I said. Um, the new construction wasn't keeping up with with the demand. Mm-hmm. And demand is not just population growth because obviously the population grows every single year. People need mm-hmm. to have a, a place to live. We are a net ex importer, rather, of immigrants, not a net exporter of expatriates. You know, we don't right. have people moving away. We have people moving here. So you've always got this increased demand for housing. And then I think one of the things that happened is a lot of the, the younger generations, you know, it used to be when, when I was young, you hit 18 years old, you're out of the house. Yeah. You know, get, either you're going to school, going to the military, or damn it, go get your own place because you're not staying here. <laughs> and that's changed a lot. So a lot of times, you know, kids these days, will they'll maybe they'll go to school, but then they'll go back and live with mom and dad until they're like 30. I know. And student debt's been a big piece of that. You know, so that. kids will go to school and they'll come home sacked with eighty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 in student debt, and they can't afford to live on their own, so they got to stay with mom and dad for a few years, try to pay their debt down. And so there was kind of this extension of that natural progression from ch- children living with their parents to living on their own, and all of a sudden it's like this whiplash effect. You start to see that generation start to buy houses, and it's crashing the system. Yeah, there's just not enough. And uh, the other thing, too, that – a lot of people don't realize outside of the industry is that one of the other challenges that's happened, especially in the past couple of years, is that um, there are very, very large institutional investors in the country like Vanguard, mm-hmm. BlackRock. Go look them up. They're enormous, huge companies that own all kinds of stuff. They have been investing in real estate just as like rental houses and stuff like that it it a really really alarming number and you know a lot of it is them trying to diversify out out of the market into um, you know physical holdings and I will tell you and this is something that we can get into if you want but there is one of the best ways to hedge against inflation is buying real estate mm-hmm. and um, I think you know obviously we're all feeling the impacts of inflation I mean you know, hell, the the price of gas had doubled since Biden took office. Before everything went down with Ukraine, mm-hmm. yeah. And so now gas is—I mean, I just filled—I drive a diesel, dude. I just filled up yesterday for six bucks a gallon. I know. Well, yeah, we're Holy. we're close to five. <laughs> we're cl- we're close. Check your diesel prices, man. They might be there already. Uh, it's crazy. I, i'm sure
0: it's getting close yeah i well that's yeah. that's such another factor i mean and, and, but with everything going on with russia you know, that's just you know we're, we're banning the imports and all that kind of stuff on oil
1: but my point in saying that is i think everybody knows that inflation's like out of control mm-hmm. but the smart money knew before most everybody else that inflation was coming i mean they're you know they got analysts looking at You know, data twenty four seven. You know, all kinds of information you didn't even know existed, and they knew inflation was coming, and so they've been investing in real estate. So that's why they're. I've read a lot of that. How, um, especially
0: during the pandemic, they were kind of branching out into real estate. But you think that's because they just saw that coming, and they said this is probably the best bet, having this kind of an asset there just to hedge against that.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's interesting that's interesting because if you think about it you know it's the from a holding perspective if you're holding that it's the it's the slowest thing for them to liquidate right? mm-hmm. so if they're they're holding stock or you know something like that i mean they can liquidate and move money very quickly you can't do that with real estate right you know you got to you got to list it for sale you got to sell it and and all that kind of stuff so you know if you as a large institutional investor if you're getting into real estate there's a strategic reason for it. And the only thing that makes sense to me is that, you know, they could see coming what's here before the rest of us could. Right? Are, are they buying up houses
0: actually, or is it oh, just, yeah. yeah? Like tracts of yep. land and tracks of houses and
1: houses, houses that they can rent. That's and crazy. it's funny. I actually had, um, I couldn't believe it, man. I, I listed a house in Fayetteville, which is South of Atlanta. And uh, right after I, I listed it, I mean, within minutes I got an offer and I looked at it and BlackRock was the buyer. I was like, Whoa. (laughs) There it is on one of my listings. I couldn't believe it.
0: That's so hard to beat because they could just give you cash, right? I mean, they don't have to really go through anybody.
1: It was a fast closing. Yeah. They paid a premium price. So they're they're aggressive. They wanna buy it, they'll buy it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well that's tough for, for a regular buyer because you know, they're going through a bank. That takes time, and then you have a a seller who's got this offer, and it's like, yeah, it's cash. Just take that. I'm done. I'm out in a few weeks or a month or whatever, and I don't have to worry about anything. You know,
1: I've had I've had sellers though that out of principle they won't sell their house to a, a big investor. Yeah, like they'll tell me, no, no, find find me something else. You know, I'd rather go through the risk of somebody, you know, going through finance and all that kind of stuff than sell to somebody like that. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. More power to you. Yeah,
0: people are are funny that way. There was a few people bidding on the house I'm in right now, and we were from town, and that's the reason why we got the house. You know, they yeah. they just said they'd rather give it to a family from the same town, a young a young family with kids, because they had kids grow up here, and and mm-hmm. this was their town. And it's it's funny because people, you know, it's their house though. They made a home there. That's where their heart is. So they want to see it go to. Go to somebody yeah. who's going to do the same thing it's just it's funny oh, yeah. people are emotional sellers that way
1: yeah yeah for sure um but the the whole big investor thing you know i think more people should be aware of it because yeah. the, the risk is it makes it it makes home ownership even harder right mm-hmm. and it's already a problem we already have an in- inventory issue and so now all you're doing is creating less opportunities for people to buy and more rentals that of course will be rented at a premium price. Right. You're absolutely so, right. Yeah. It it frustrates me.
0: Where do you see this going then in the future? Like in 5 years from now, what's <laughs> what does the market look like in the US?
1: Um I think it's going to look very similar to how it looks now. Yeah. Which is why I'm, you know, more focused on investing in real estate than any other investments Mm -hmm. because um i don't know i I mean i can tell you one thing the inflation who knows where it ends yeah when have we ever seen inflation and then deflation like when has that ever happened yeah i mean i i can't tell you a time in, in american history where You know, we've, we've suffered inflation and then afterwards we have deflation over a number of years. It just doesn't happen. No, we don't. What happened, what happened with the housing market in 2008 was something completely different. Yeah. You know, it was all built on a bubble and we don't have to get into that. But what's happening now is based on fundamentals. Yeah. It's true supply and demand. Yep. You don't have that, those bad mortgages being written, the subprime mortgages and, you know, all that stuff that was happening back then. So there's real value. And the value of the dollar decreases seems like on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and so I don't know where this thing ends. But you know, I'd much rather I'd much rather use leverage and buy an asset that's going to appreciate over time than stick in something volatile like the market that I really suck at.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. You know, you know, you're never going to lose over time. At some point, right? I mean, you it's gonna. of the time, I guess, go, go. I mean, there's, there's opportunity, I guess, to lose, but most of the time you don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think Warren Buffett said the eighth wonder of the world is compounding interest. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this a lot because there's the principle of investing with leverage Mm -hmm. is something that most people don't understand. And I, I'd love to talk about it because you know, if I can educate one person on your show that yeah, the, the light bulb goes off, it's worth it to me because people don't realize what it is. And investing with leverage is simply investing with somebody else's money. And, you know, it, compounding interest is great because if you put money, let's just say you had 50 grand mm-hmm. and you put that into either some sort of interest bearing account or the stock market and you know that it's going to earn 6% a year. or or 8% a year or whatever, you might say, man, that's great. And over time, it's it's incredible how much money you'll accumulate over 30 years, 40 years. But if you take that same money and you put it as a down payment towards a rental house, so you take that 50 grand and you go out and you buy a $250,000 house that you're going to rent out. So yeah, you've got your initial investment, but then what happens is, you know, you've you've got your your mortgage payment, your taxes, your insurance, all that stuff. Let's just say that that's a thousand bucks a month, and you're going to have somebody pay you too. And so, every month, the thing generates cash flow. Mm-hmm. So, in that particular scenario, you're making twelve thousand dollars a year. You'll have maintenance and stuff that'll come off the top. So, just cut it in half. Say it's six grand. So, you're creating six thousand dollars in positive cash flow every single year. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that, you've got the real estate itself is appreciating in value. So that house you bought for 250,000, 15 years from now, it's probably doubled in value. Yep. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's up to 400 K or whatever, but now you've got an asset. Let's just say that's worth double what you paid for it. And the whole time somebody else was paying down the mortgage. Right. So you took out a loan of 200,000, in 15 years, let's use some easy numbers. Let's say you've cut it in half, and you owe 100 thousand on it. So that same investment 15 years later, you know you've made that six thousand dollars a year, and so you know you've you've earned like r- what, roughly 18 grand. Mm-hmm. Plus the you know you sell the house. Let's say you sell it for 500 k. You walk away with 400 thousand. So you know. Four hundred and call it four hundred twenty thousand dollars you made over fifteen years on a rental house. Like the the math is incredible because you're using other people's money, right? Use the banks. You have to put your deposit or your your down payment down, but you do that, and then you're using the bank's money to borrow and mm-hmm. buy it, and you're using the renter's money to pay you to appreciate over time. I mean, it's 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 brilliant. Yeah, everybody should do it. Yeah, but you know unfortunately a lot of people it's not something that's taught and not a lot of people will do it and then of course you have a lot of people that just you know they're not disciplined enough to manage your money to to get that initial down payment but, right man it 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 can be a total game changer it's I mean, real estate's built built more wealth around the world than than anything else yeah, and that's I'd a great with, way to do it i'd
0: agree with that yeah yeah definitely Oh, that's interesting. That's uh, I'm glad you you brought that up. And like you said, one listener will get something out of that. Um, I hope so I hope it's yeah. me,
1: um, because it's a great way, you know, they, they say you have to have money to make money, right? Which I, honestly is true. Um, and everybody's got a job and everybody can start to save and start somewhere, but this is a way that you can start with a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And make a lot of money and make a lot, in a short yeah. period. Yeah. And there's not many opportunities like that. No. I mean you hear about these people like, Oh, I bought Apple when it was at twenty dollars. It's like, you know what? Go fuck yourself a little bit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear that again. You suck. Yeah. But not many not many people have those type of opportunities to catch lightning in a bottle and make a fortune. Yeah. Um, but real estate's like a surefire way. It's not like spinning the wheel in the stock market. It's just a. it's a an equation, it's a discipline. You do it, it'll work. You do it again and again, and you start to replicate over multiple, you've built yourself wealth. Mm. And you can have passive income and really enjoy your retirement and not have to worry about things.
0: Yeah. And then if you, if you still have the home, you know, like you said, if it's paid off, you got your, your mortgage paid down and, and everything like that, you're just making money. You, know, you take a little bit off the top, like you said, for insurance and, and uh, some maintenance and stuff like that. But you always have that. And then you have, if you needed liquidity,
1: you could sell it and you have it there if you needed oh, it. Let me tell you, oh, let me tell you a little secret. This is how the rich get really rich. Mm-hmm. So if you own real estate, there's a way to get money and pay zero taxes on it. Yeah. It's super simple. You do a cash out refi. So you have that rental house, and let's say you've had somebody renting it for several years, and you know that house you bought for two hundred fifty. Now you owe one hundred fifty thousand for it, and it's worth, let's call it three hundred thousand. So what you can do is you can go to the bank and say, "Hey, I want to refinance two hundred fifty thousand of this house." Mm-hmm. And they say, "Okay." They go out and they do their appraisal, and they say, "Yep, it's approved." Well, they pay off the and then give you the balance. So yeah. now all of a sudden, so you, you owed uh, 150000 Now you've got hundred grand in your pocket, yeah. and, you're, and it's not income. You're borrowing off your asset. So it's $0 on your tax return, zero. And so what you can do is you can use that to then go buy another rental property. And that's a strategy called laddering. Mm -hmm. So you use the equity that you have in your existing real estate. You borrow against it to go buy more real estate. I've actually always wondered about that. Yeah. And And that's how a lot of people will like, they'll make money and pay zero taxes. Well, you know, that's not income. You didn't make that money. You don't make the money until you sell it and pay capital gains, but you can borrow against it at any time and it's, and use that to go reinvest some more. That's brilliant! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's wish cool. somebody would have taught me when I was twenty. I know. Well You know, I'm only figuring this out in my forties. I know. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh man, if I had started back then, yeah. Well, I'd be I'd be doing this podcast from my private island somewhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I say that a lot, man. You know, like, it, 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 if they would have taught me some some of these things back then, yep You know, but. You know, we figure it out on our own somehow. Yeah. Yep. No, that's cool. Thanks. That that uh, I always wondered about that. Like just taking you know equity out of the house and then just buying another one. But I didn't realize it would be totally tax free. Like
1: I mean, that. think about it, it on your sense, own house. Though. Yeah, like if you want to renovate your house, right? And you take out a home equity line, or you do a, a cash out refi. So if you get fifty grand, a hundred grand to do renovations to your house, you don't pay tax on that. No. You're just borrowing against your asset. Yeah, you owe that money back. <laughs> That's crazy. But but when it's a rental house, somebody else is paying it for you.
0: Yeah, I've That's seen people do that is. in. Um, to get off topic, but there some people do that with life insurance too. I've seen that they they take the cash mm-hmm. out they, or they take a loan against themselves. Right. Yeah, and then they start. They're technically they're technically paying it back, or they end up just. Draining it, you know, over time. I've seen that where that's like right. a retirement plan some people have where they do that a lerp, yeah. I think it's called, or something like that. But um yeah, they'll take it out for like twenty years, like twenty thousand or fifty thousand, and it's you're putting it in tax free, you're taking it out tax free, and you don't ever lose on that.
1: Unless um, you don't pay it back, and then you could be subject to penalties and stuff. Yeah, be worse than taking it as income. But yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen people do that too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, they probably have a smart accountant to figure out how to, how to
1: do that. I got program. a great accountant and I'm like, trust him with my life because <laughs> once, once you own a business, it's like, you know, they say the tax code is written for business owners. Yeah. And, you know, cause people are like, Oh, you wrote that off. I can't believe it. It's like, yeah, but if you knew how much taxes I pay, yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's crazy and makes it really difficult. So, um, I told my accountant, like, I if it gets near the gray area, I don't want to be in it. Yeah, I don't want to be audited. But you take me right up to the line. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that's where I want to be. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's okay. what I. So, um, you know, going back to to the housing, you know, in theory, right now we got rising mortgage rates, but the problem mm. is there's still historically speaking, low. Oh, yeah. So you're probably still seeing a boom out there, right, as far as as all these um, competing bids and a bidding war and things like that. I mean, because in theory, it should price some people out of the market, but it's just so low already, it's Mm -hmm. not that big of a difference.
1: Yeah, I think that um, the the conditions that we've been in in the past couple of years, I don't really see it changing anytime soon. No, you know, I, I think that we'd anything. really have to see a lot of movement on interest rates mm-hmm. for that to happen. Because like you said, it's like, I was talking to somebody the other day, like, oh my God, I can't believe I got quoted 3.9. Yeah. I'm like, that's 3.9%. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yes, we did get down into the twos. Yeah. But My God, th- 3.9 for a 30-year mortgage with a 5% down payment, I'm like, Take I know. it and run. That's amazing. It's still really good. So we'd have to have a. I think we'd have to have a really big movement on, on rates. But I don't. I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think that there's a president that would want to oversee a massive spike in interest rates. I agree. I think that. I think that for the foreseeable future, whoever's in the Oval Office is going to, you know, push the Fed to keep interest rates artificially low. Yeah. And so I I don't see it changing, you know, for quite some time. Because the the affordable housing thing, like nobody wants to be in a position of leadership when prices are going out of control. And then they're like, "Hey, I could have done something to lower rates to to help this affordable housing issue, but I didn't." Yeah. I, I just I don't I can't see that happening, man. But I don't know. I'm I'm have a crystal ball
0: i don't but, I don't see it either, and it's been artificially low since God who knows now, right fifteen years probably oh, I mean, yeah. they just they're just I yeah. remember you know back before we had the meltdown, people talking about historically it was great, you know they were at like five six percent and mm-hmm. it, historically speaking, that was great, and now people like you said are scoffing at the idea, oh God, I gotta pay four percent, you crazy? I
1: remember. Remember 15 years ago, no, it was longer than that. Uh maybe 16, 17 years ago I bought a house and I was excited because I I had good credit and I got quoted a rate of 7.25 mm-hmm. and, and locked in and at the time prime was 8. Yeah. And I was super excited at 7.25. Yeah. You know, so I mean, money's still really cheap. And so I've been, you know, I've been telling our team that I hate to say it, but I think the conditions that we're dealing with, we're going to have them for quite some time. Yeah, And, um, you know, we've just, we've had to get people to change their mindset on what the customer journey looks like and how to help them be competitive and, you know, how to keep, how to keep fresh in this. Cause it's really frustrating. I mean, it used to be, you know, if you were helping a buyer, you would take them and show them, you know, 15, 20 houses and say, which one do you want? And they'd pick one and then you'd negotiate till you, everybody's happy and, and you're good. Well, now there's no inventory, so you gotta wait. And then as soon as something hits the market, you gotta drop everything and go. It's like, hey, kids, enjoy dinner. I'm out of here. And then you go show a house and you gotta sell somebody a house 10, 20 times, sometimes before you can finally get them under contract. It's yeah. maddening. Yeah. It's difficult. And so we've had to just get people like, hey, listen, this is what it's gonna be like for a while. And, you know just try to do things to help support their mindset, make sure that they're not um getting burnt out that sort of thing. Cause it's it's really easy to do in in this environment yeah yeah i I can't even imagine,
0: but that must help with that's where someone like you is probably why you're at the top right i mean it, i'm I'm sure the way things are now like you said most people don't make it um because it's kind of a journey, like you said, you got you have to be able to set expectation and know it's gonna be um, a little bit of an uphill climb in in a lot of ways, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, not only do you have to know all the the stuff that we talked about, you mm-hmm. gotta learn about houses and how they're built, and, you know, the difference between, um, you know, crawl space foundation types and all this kind of crap. So you gotta know all that stuff, and you gotta understand license law both federally and also in your state, and sometimes they're in, like, direct opposition. Yeah. Weird, and So there's all kinds of craziness you got to know. But then after all that, then there's this additional element of being, like, super savvy. And, you know, we've got several things that, you know, we consider, like, trade secrets that we talk about within our team about mm-hmm. how to win in multiple offer situations. And Because, you know, one of the biggest things that we did when we realized that it was going to be like this for a while, it's like, all right, we started getting powwow sessions together, like, what, are we, what can we do? I talk to attorneys about rewriting some of the stipulations that we put in our contracts and that sort of stuff. Like we would just brainstorm and brainstorm and come up with new ideas like, oh, that's a good one. And mm-hmm. over the past year or so, we've really added a bunch of those tricks to our bag. And it's like, because I'm, I'm like, I don't want to have to sell somebody on 20 houses before I get them, get them under contract. Yeah. What if we get that down to three or four? Mm-hmm. You know, that'd make my agents happier. that make my clients happier. Yeah. Um, and so we tried to focus on that. And uh, I will tell everybody listening. Um, I'll tell you this: if you're working with a buyer's agent, you know, ask them what they're doing to win in this competitive market. Ask them for specifics. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like they don't know what they're doing or they're or they're a little green, I hate to say it, but you may want to try to find somebody else because. You, that, that and, and I will tell you, like, our, even our new agents, like, I've got some agents that have joined us that were newly licensed within the past year. It's like, I'm teaching them all this stuff up front. Cause if you get in front of a client, I don't want you to get booted because you can't, you can't service them. So you owe it to yourself to know these things. So if you're talking to somebody that's like, oh, I'm, I'm not really sure, or, or are you, you can tell they're feeding a you a line, <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> you're like, that doesn't I'm make any sure. sense. What you just said, yeah. Um, you owe it to yourself to find somebody that that knows how to win in this market because there are strategies. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I wish I could go into them, but I don't want to give away. No, you secrets. can't give away your
0: trade secrets. Oh yeah. man,
1: we've worked so hard at them, but th- there are secrets. I'll, I'll give you that much.
0: Yeah, you ever yeah. do anything like out of state, or are you just no. concentrate on your area? Yeah, I guess that's like whole, learning a whole new bag of bag of tricks, and then you're learning all the all the codes and all the. All the um, regulations, things like that, so
1: we probably- we refer out of state, so like mm-hmm. we'll we'll create partners in in hot areas where we get referrals a lot, so you know like there's a couple of markets in in Florida that we get people that move to quite often, yeah, and I've got people in my back pocket that I could call and refer somebody to, but no there's just there's so much going on right here, and there's so much opportunity to grow in our home state that um that's where our focus is at least for now.
0: Where do you see? what areas do you see in the next few years becoming even more hot
1: in terms of geographical areas? Yeah. Uh, Texas, Mm -hmm. Texas is, um, growing like crazy. Um, you know, Florida, I will tell you, man, it's like, I think some people might have this impression that Florida can't handle much more growth. Oh, I disagree. Yeah. Um, I drove past uh, – I go down there a lot. I got, I got a father-in-law down there, so we'll go on vacation in Florida a lot. You ever heard of the Villages? No. Where is that? What part of it's Florida? It's in central Central Florida. Okay. Um, it's in the Orlando area, between Orlando and Ocala. Okay. And it is the largest senior community in the country. And we drove past there, and they had scorched an area where they're building new houses and I didn't know that they were moving into this particular area. And, I mean, it was it was scorched as far as the eye could see both directions. I'm like, oh, my God. I bet they could have built – I bet just in, in the area that I could see. And there was hill, and so it crested over the hill. I have no idea, but I, I would bet that that just what I saw, they could probably build 3,000 houses. I was – um, yeah,
0: I was there a while ago. I was in Naples, though. My yeah. parents had a place there, and that was building – I mean, it was mostly older
1: community, but they had so much land. That's so much. There's, there's an area up in the panhandle of Florida where the, the, um, the state has been working on pulling something together where and, – and I think it's going to happen. But if it all gets greenlit, it's going to be the largest community ever built. That's crazy. Like in the scale of hundreds of thousands of houses. <laughs> so I think Florida. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you might think of Florida like, well, how much juice can they squeeze out of that turnip? It's like, <laughs> oh, there's more there. They're gonna make it me. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's crazy. So I I see those as really hot markets. Um Georgia, where I'm at, it's a really hot market. We're on the ground and we see it. Tennessee mm-hmm. um, you know, is another really hot one. And, I mean, it, it, it makes sense because right now what you're seeing is a lot of migration yeah. Um, just due to life changes and people looking for more favorable tax policy. Um, one of the things that's become really top of mind, I can tell you this anecdotally because I, I talk to people moving here on a regular basis. I think one of the things that's happened over the past couple of years is people that live in communities like yours, they'll come to us and say, we didn't realize how regulated and governed we were until the pandemic yeah. and we're done. We want to move somewhere where we've got a little bit more autonomy. Cause this, I think for a lot of people, this became the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause, Cause there are some places that are just, you know, across the country that are just super restrictive and they got, you know, wonky rules. And finally something like this happens and, you know, it just makes somebody break and they're like, I'm not yeah. doing this anymore. So I think that they're you know, that's why you're seeing, People target states that are um, more free, I guess, for lack of better of a better term. Right. Um, But I hear people talk about it on a regular basis, and I got some people moving out here from California right now, and they, (laughs) when they come out here, they're like, "This is so nice." Yeah. Like like, people seem happy, and you can really do whatever you want. Like they'll ask me, like, "Wait, you don't like?" I was trying to think of something they were. Uh oh. So they were talking about at a house they wanted to like so what's the approval process for um planting trees and, and gardens and I'm like <laughs> what are you talking about? Like what does the approval process look like with the city or the county to get your the, the trees approved that you wanna have planted? And I'm like you go to the nursery, you buy, you you buy it and you dig a hole. Like what are you talking about? Well, where they live. They've got to have all that stuff approved by the county. I'm that's, like, yeah, you got to be kidding here. me. That's crazy.
0: Not really in in the yard, but they will have, they have like, a commission here, and they they plant trees. They could just plant them in front of your house, like, right by the sidewalk, like, right in front of it, that little area between the, the oh, curb yeah. and the sidewalk. I'm like, I have two of these, like, these small little trees, and then I have this huge, you know, 50-, 60-year-old, like, oak or whatever the heck it is and it's like tearing up the driveway it's tearing up the, can somebody like take this can we just take this down we don't no you can't touch it even if it's dying and it does get ridiculous oh, over here it it there's <laughs> they're literally chopping up these trees and you have power lines running through them. They're just ugly. They look like goalposts at this point, but nobody... it's Just take them down at this point. Right? I, mean, I know, man. It, it, but you have to it's go crazy, through hell to to try to do it. So, I mean, I get some of that. Um,
1: yep.
0: You know, yep. They, they just... they. I, I don't know. I don't know why it's such a big deal. Or even just to get them to cut down a tree. I mean, I get to a huge branch. Like I'm watching branches overhang ready to fall on somebody's car.
1: Well, the problem is and and this is just a like a fundamental issue and i think that it's been a lot of people have started to realize this especially since the pandemic but it's like you go to the whole tree thing well since we're talking about that we'll use that as example yeah the issue is government grows to a point to where there's a group of people that it's their job to make sure that you don't cut trees down or that if you plant a tree it's the approved tree yeah and You might say, "Wait a minute! Why are we doing that? That's that's ridiculous." And probably nobody realizes that job is more worthless than the person doing it, right? Yeah. But they're never going to tell themselves, "Like, hey guys, my job is really pointless." Right. I I really shouldn't be doing this at all. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody's going to raise their hand. They want to keep their job, so they try to. And then, of course, the the only way that they can make themselves have value is to become so bureaucratic. And so over the top that they feel like, oh, I, I turned down five people today. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, I've accomplished something. Yeah. Um, so the common sense goes out the window, and it becomes a Fox SWAT penthouse. And, you know, and then, of course, no politician wants to be the one to say, do we really need the tree department? I'm going to disband it. And then all it takes is now with social media, all it takes is that one resident to go bananas on social media, and then all of a sudden they're and you know they're on CNN. Yeah, you know, how dare them take care? You know, get rid of the tree people, and you know it's just yeah. Well, and then they have pals stuff. in
0: the community, and it's like, hey, we're, we can't get rid of Harry.
1: Yeah, <laughs> something <like that.
0: laughs> Harry's a fixture here. You know, it's, it's so. Yeah, here, sure, yeah.
1: he won't let you cut down the tree that's want- thro- growing through your living room, <laughs> but he's been here forever. But you know that's just how Harry is. But here, yeah, well, you have truth. to reach over this limb to do the dishes. You yeah. sure I can't cut this thing down?
0: <laughs> I swear. Sometimes I'm like, there's, there's these two in front of my house, and I'm always like, what's gonna happen if I just take them out? I really know this or
1: just it... start driving rusty That's... nails in them? Yeah, right. I thought about
0: running them over with a car. They're they're small enough I could probably just take them out.
1: But so, a I, I, funny story. I used to um, do commercial real estate mm-hmm. for AT and T. And uh I had this guy he he owned AT&T stores or like dealerships or franchises if you will and we were looking at this store in upstate New York and there was this big tree in front of his sign and he's like what the hell is going on with that tree and I'm like that we have tried we we have raised hell with the county they will not let us cut that tree down or trim it and he's like that's bullshit and I said I know and like we've done everything so the guy like just leaves and all of a sudden I'm like, where the hell did he go? And I don't know, about 30 minutes later, he comes walking back up to the store with a chainsaw he just bought from Home Depot, <laughs> cuts the thing down. I mean, this is not a small tree, just cuts his tree down, falls in the middle of the parking lot, blocking the road and everything. He's like, um, what's the landlord's name? <laughs> what's his number? He calls the landlord, he's like, Hey, somebody just cut your tree down. You need to come clean it up. And he's like, All right, where are we going next? <laughs> like, holy crap, dude. I do wonder, uh, like, what
0: are they gonna do? What's I, know, gonna happen?
1: I mean that that was his thing. He's like, What are they gonna do? Send me to jail? I don't give a shit. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. I'm I'm like, I, okay. Uh, so won't. we didn't have a problem with that tree anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Made it more desirable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not advocating you do that, folks, but Yeah. It no, was no, a hilarious story. Just, it was so just funny a story. to watch. His matter of fact, he was from Texas and he just didn't understand the bureaucracy. He's like hell yes. Yeah.
0: Don't take don't take the law into your own hands. I guess that's unless the
1: law. Unless you can unless you can afford to. Unless, can yeah,
0: well then you do whatever you want. You do whatever you want at that point.
1: I'm, uh, I'm looking at you, Clintons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh sorry. No, that's all right. Um so what's what's the future for you? Uh, what are you planning on? You got any plans? I know you said you were a serial entrepreneur. So I'm guessing you're into other areas of, um, you know, other businesses and, and stuff.
1: Yeah. So obviously I've got the real estate business, the, the beer and business podcast. I do some consulting work. Um, also working on some other um, business opportunities that, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully will pan out soon. Um, but I don't know, man. The future, I mean, the real estate thing is, you know, that's what pays the bills right now. Yeah. That's where the majority of our revenue comes from. But I'm really excited about the podcast. Yeah. We're, um, we've been approached by some pretty big sponsors recently, um, that could be really interesting. And so, you know, if we keep growing it, I mean, I would love for the podcast to get to the point to where it's a self sustaining business with enough revenue to support employees because I really enjoy doing it yeah um I've met so many really cool people, and when we do a good episode and you know somebody approaches me and says, "Man, that last episode really helped me change my business or something like that, it's super rewarding mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fun so and plus it's i it's one of those things where you know now that you're doing a podcast, but there's so much freaking work that goes into it that nobody yeah. ever sees. Part of me just wants to to really hit it big just to I don't know, prove a point to myself that all this work was worth something. Yeah, yeah. Cause, you know, you you do this over three years and you know, we we've just put so much into it and in our branding and you know, gosh, it's it's been a ton of work. So that that would be awesome. Yeah.
0: No, I hear you. It's it's a lot of fun, um, but it's definitely a lot of work. But, you know, it's cool. I get to talk to people like you. I Part of the big thing for me was just to – I like picking up knowledge, you know? And the best way to do is mm-hmm. to talk to people involved in it. And then you, who yeah. knows where it goes from there. So I yeah. definitely picked up some cool stuff today. Cool. So. All right, man. Well, thank you for stopping by or uh, – you know, Zooming with me, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, dude. It was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, maybe if uh, sometime you'll be back. We'll see. We've got some for you.
1: Uh, you know how to get a hold of me, man. So uh, yeah. all you got to do is, is ask. All right, man.
0: We'll take it easy. Good luck to you. And, oh, you want to plug your podcast real quick?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Beer and Business. Any podcast app you're on, just search for the Beer Business Podcast, and we'll be the first thing that pops up. And uh, if you hear really bad celebrity impressions, they're all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, they're the most amazing you've ever heard. But frankly, you, Jay, it's the best you've heard, I guarantee.
0: <laughs> that was pretty good. I could tell you've been practicing on there. Uh, too much. No, no. All right, man. Well, thank you again. And uh, we'll talk to everybody later. Thanks. You might get what you're after. But not a stranger I'm